In this episode, we'll chat about Facebook getting into blockchain, cryptocurrencies and conversational design, and discuss if there will be a winner in the design tool space. Welcome to Colored by Design. This discussion series looks at design issues through a uniquely biased lens. Our hope is to empower a new breed of creative as they enter into, mature, and navigate through the business world. I'm Corwin, Senior Global Creative Director. And I'm Jesse, Senior Experience Designer. Let's get into it. Good evening. Hey, man. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. 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 Good. A lot of a uh, lot of good topics out there. I think we got a. I think we're in a good business. We got a lot of headlines and stuff to nibble on that that, that I think makes it interesting for people uh, tuning in. Always interesting things to learn going on. Yeah. So first, I want to take a quick moment to give a shout out to some of the people that are showing us a little bit of love and sharing the podcast and liking us on LinkedIn and passing it to their network. So first, I want to say thank you to our former boss, Margaret. Um, she uh, liked our, our post. So I know that'll go go out to uh, her community. And so she's in a pretty strong position at a very powerful company these days. So uh, we, we definitely appreciate Margaret's love all the time. Yes. Thank you, Margaret. We appreciate it. Um, also, uh, met a guy when we were doing a lot of hiring and, uh, you know, we've had the good fortune to meet a lot of good people. Not everybody's a great fit for, for our, uh, you know, the company and the projects and the jobs that we have, but right. I don't think that's any reason for you not to become friends and be cool with people and meet new people. So a guy named, uh, Kobe Almond, he, uh, came through and uh, we interviewed and it didn't work out, but we had like a two hour conversation over a year ago and I felt like I know the guy. Yeah. Um, and then he was hosting a, uh, IXDA uh, meetup here in, in, in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I said, Oh wow, Kobe's doing it. I'll go over there and support him. And when I, when I saw him for the first time, I thought I had met the dude and he's like, no, we've never actually met. We've talked on the phone, <laughs> connected through LinkedIn, but I felt like I knew him. Yeah. You know, so that was cool. So he's doing a really good thing with that community and him and his team are putting together something that I think will be really special for the design community here. So I'm looking forward to what they do and supporting their efforts for sure. Totally. It's always good to see uh, new things happening in the Dallas design community. And uh, I'll definitely have to stop by and show some love. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're doing good stuff. Hopefully we'll, uh, they're always looking for good places to, 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 to host meetings and, and have kind of sponsors and such. So I think yeah. I'm going to try to get them over to the office since we got a pretty open, cool space for them to, you know, I think that'd be cool for them to get in. Yeah, there. totally. Um, and, and then somebody that we used to work with um, reached out to us on on uh, on LinkedIn and, and showed some love and said, hey, like the podcast, like what you guys are doing. And his name's Sean. He uh, transitioned from being a developer, front end developer over into being a designer. So welcome mm -hmm. to the family, Sean. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thanks for the, the love and the kind words, sir. Hopefully we can help you as you uh, mature in your design career. Yeah, Sean, we really appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Cool. So let's get into it. Um, where do you want to start? We got a lot of stuff that we can, uh, we can nibble on tonight. Yeah, I think one of the things that you shared with me a few days ago was the news that Facebook is getting into the blockchain. Yeah, of course, right? I mean, uh, one thing that's for sure is that when, these, uh, when any new technology emerges, we can definitely count on the big boys and girls to kind of throw their hat in the ring and, and make a play. Right. Um, I think it's, it, it's fascinating for a couple reasons. So I, I'm really about you know, in January when Bitcoin was kind of at its highest, I really mm -hmm. got what into was that? $20,000, $20,000. Yeah. I think it was like 19 and change. 20. <laughs> it was just crazy. crazy. Yeah. Then everyone in the world knew the, knew the word Bitcoin. Yeah. Your grandma was asking you about it. I'm sure. 
Absolutely. What's the heartbreak <laughs> are the people that were like, yeah, this Bitcoin doesn't make any sense. I'm going to sell it. Right. And fortunately, I have some people at work that uh, have family members that were like, no, they had Bitcoin. They sold it. I'm like, wow. Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, what, what is interesting is that since I started you know, learning about it, one of the first projects that I really uh, was asked to investigate and say, hey, if you really want to learn about how blockchain can really be applicable to everyday people, um, you know, past just exchanging tokens and kind of speculating, mm-hmm. uh, look into Kin. And I was like, oh, okay, Kin. Okay. So I looked into it. Kin is owned or kind of the cryptocurrency from the Kick app, mm-hmm. uh, the Kick Messenger app, which was uh, started by Ted Livingston. Um, and they've been wildly successful. One of the fastest growing messenger apps, you know, out there early on, they got a, a pretty strong community. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's very fascinating is, that, uh, you know, they are very much like, and Ted Livingston makes no bones about it. He broadcasts it regularly and says it loudly that, you know, Facebook kind of has taken a lot of people's innovations and, you know, obviously scaled it to their billions of users and ultimately, you know, taking some folks right out of, right out of, right out of play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was fascinating when I came across this article, um, on TechCrunch where it was talking about, I mean, it's all in the news, but, um, the former head of messenger at Facebook, David Marcus is leading that crypto team. Yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, kind of interesting to see these two kind of messenger developer kind of platform guys, um, getting ready to kind of, you know, do 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 battle in some respects in this in this blockchain space so that'll be very interesting to see how that works out yeah it's a bit of a i don't want to say oxymoron but it's it's kind of a hard thing for people to hold in their heads this idea of you know blockchain being the 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 key to decentralized everything right not just decentralized social networks but decentralized currency at some point in the future and facebook which is essentially the centralization of the internet right like the central identity that we use for everything or at one point that we did use for everything. Yeah. So it's kind of a, an interesting uh, combination. One of the things that we are looking at or or thinking about and discussing um, is, you know, what are the possible use cases? Why would Facebook get into crypto or blockchain and what, what could they do to improve upon that experience? And um, in the early two thousands, uh, and maybe even before that, the earlier web, um, one of the things that Facebook helped us solve for was your identity across the internet. So instead of having to log into a number of different accounts, you have uh, your email address and a password for one site, and then maybe a different email address and different password for another site, um, right. and over and over and over, we would just you click one simple button, you know, log in with Facebook. And mm-hmm. this is kind of the the parallel that's being drawn here in this TechCrunch article, but I just found that fascinating in a way um, because it, it is almost immediately apparent that even today with all of the issues that have uh, come out of Facebook in regards to some data scandals and this and that, people still largely will use that one-click button because of the advantage to the user experience that it is as opposed right. to having to enter my email and my password. And there's a similar issue with cryptocurrencies in general right now where you have to reauthenticate for each wallet that you have. And it will be really interesting to see what happens when you have this decentralized technology in combination with a centralized identity server, if you will. Yeah. Well, they're there. I recommend everybody, especially the creative community to really investigate and 
not invest your money, but invest your time. I mean, you can invest your money if you want, but mm-hmm. in, invest your time in understanding what the blockchain really is about, what blockchain really is empowering and enabling, not only on the financial side of it, that is a, that is a, a very interesting piece and a very, mm-hmm. um, it'll, be, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, I don't think it's going to disrupt entirely governments and fiat currency and, and, and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. um, as far as the currencies of it all go, but I do think what is getting ready to happen. And, um, and I think it's some very smart people that are trying to figure out how can we use this blockchain technology to better society. Mm-hmm. What I'm really excited about, I'm, there's going to be hundreds of, 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 you know, uh, top top tier corporations that are going to leverage blockchain. And a lot of them are already using blockchain technology. It's not like it's necessarily, I mean, it is new, um, but you know, a lot of companies are using it internal for a variety of different things. But what's really interesting about blockchain, I'll just give you a quick little, little snippet of how it could be useful. Um, mm-hmm. And for those of you that are, that are interested, I recommend you go on YouTube and search up like uh, EOS hackathon. Mm-hmm. Um, EOS is one of the tokens out there by this guy, Dan Larimer. He already has EOS is his third blockchain project. He has one called Steemit and Steemit is much like Reddit where it has upvoting. But when you upvote somebody, they can actually earn for creating the content and saying, mm-hmm. saying Hey, this is a great thing. So you can actually earn money on the platform. Right. Um, and then there's another one that he started earlier than that, I believe it's called BitShares. I think it was kind of like trading platform, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, what he has this hackathon had people coming up and demoing their ideas. And so going to your identity, there was one project that was saying, Hey, imagine if you're an immigrant and you're going from, you know, you, you get caught in a a disaster zone and now you need to leave your home and you need to go get services from the red cross or whatever. Right. With blockchain, what you can do is you can, one use case that these guys made, which was amazing. They said, take a retinal scanner connected to a, a blockchain and you walk up and, you know, if I'm a doctor and I'm rendering services, I can basically have a, you know, a, a series of maybe funding or, or, you know, uh, I don't know, vouchers for, for different services or something like that. Right. And I can say, Hey, here, come up here. Let me scan your eye. Cause you don't have your wallet, right? It got lost in the fire, got lost in the earthquake, got lost in the floods or whatever. Maybe you don't have your identity, but you can come up to this, this relief area, scan your eye. The eye recognizes you. You type in your identity. Hey, I'm, you know, Corwin Stone, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And this is what I need. It prints out a, 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 a basically a QR code sticker. Um, and then you can go around and you can take that, you know, your personal identity that's, you know, done with this retinal scanner and, and it's able to, follow you and track you and let you access services and different things through your, your retina scan, right? Mm-hmm. So that becomes your true, true, true identity. No more passwords, no more, um, you know, for those of you in the, in the, in the, in the space, private keys and all this kind of stuff to get access to your crypto, to be able to do things. Right. Um, so there's these crazy use cases like that, that I think are starting to get really fascinating. And, and what I'm personally really drawn to about this community is like I said, these guys and gals are trying to figure out ways to really, try to solve really challenging issues right. um, that go past just making money. I mean, the, the ICOs and all that kind of stuff is a way to fundraise to power these projects, but there are some smart, smart people really trying to do some good with this technology, which is, uh, which is really encouraging. Yeah. Interestingly, with um, the emergence of these new, 
new technologies at the same time, you're able to look back and see parallels. We're at the point now where we can look back and remember, you know, parallels to other technologies and watch their trajectory. I was reading something um, from Benedict Evans about AR. Benedict Evans is a a partner at uh, A16Z, um, which is a venture capital firm, and they have an investment in Magic Leap, which is making an AR headset. Uh, right. They just announced, I mean, it's been in development for, I don't know how many years and gotten billions of dollars in funding, but they've yep. just announced the price point for their um, first consumer headset. And so he was writing something in regards I think to that. De- is the, I think it's released for developers, right? Oh, you're right. You're right. It's right. Yeah. The developer headset. Yeah. Um, and it was something like $2,200 for this, right. for this device. Yep. Um, and, and he was t- talking about um, what happened when multi-touch the technology, not the iPhone, right? Just the capability to use multi-touch like gestures on screens was first um, at a point where you could see that it would become mainstream. It wasn't mainstream yet. I believe it was demoed at a TED talk in 2005, multi-touch. Mm. And people were, uh, prior to that, it was something that was happening in, in labs and academics were saying, oh, this could be a cool thing. Uh, and, and at that point it was demoed to a, a wider audience. Um, there was still no killer app. There was no iPhone to leverage that technology. Right. The technology was just there and we knew that it was going to be revolutionary in a way. Right. Um, and I think that we're seeing that with cryptocurrency as a leverage for the blockchain technology. It's a technology. I don't know if it's the killer app, right. but there are tons of really smart people, as you said, working on ways to leverage that technology to enable new and previously unimagined use cases. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, you know, and it's a, it's quite fascinating, the options. And I encourage all of you guys to get into it primarily because we can't get left behind. Right. Right. Um, When I came into design industry, it was, it was where the personal computers really were gaining mainstream adoption and people were using them more and more and more. And now they had all these great design tools and you could really do some good. I mean, I think when I got into the game, it was Photoshop 1.0. Mm-hmm. And uh, no layers, one level of undo. It was rough, but um, <laughs> but the, the the cool thing that I really appreciate, I appreciated the designers that were kind of more traditionally trained. Mm-hmm. They embraced it. Some of them didn't, but yeah. um, some of them, most of them, did embrace it because they said, "Hey, man, it's just another." They were <laughs> saying, "Hey, it's just another T square. It's just another yeah. pin. You know, it's another tool in our toolbox that we need to master so that we can continue to create and do great things." So I. I think that, you know, when the internet came around, we started designing for the web. When, you know, mobile came around, we started designing for mobile. And now, obviously, you know, these, uh, you know, the conversational intelligence is here. We're designing for Alexa and chatbots and all these kind of artificial experiences. Yeah. Multi-touch, the, the AR environments, blockchain is one of them. So I think as designers, the technology is going to change so fast over the next 20 years. Um, I think we will be halfway reinventing ourselves, relearn, relearning every year without a, without a doubt. Continual, yeah. Continuing education is, is definitely the name of the game for us. If you're not constantly learning, you're going to be irrelevant. So you have to stay sharp. You have to stay in front of this thing. Right. Um, and hopefully podcasts like this can help you do that. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things about that evolution that you mentioned is that this isn't something that only designers are, have to do. Right. Um, the most successful business people are capable of leveraging their experience at one 
institution and taking that to another institution and applying it in new and different ways um, and building on that kind of personal experience that they've had to create new and interesting products. So coming back to the now head of blockchain for Facebook, um, mm -hmm. David Marcus, he was the former president of PayPal and he came over to mm -hmm. Facebook and um, was head of messenger. And from 2004, in 2014, they had 200 million monthly users. And now in 2018, they have something like 1.3 billion. Um, and, and you guys will remember, um, if you were using the Facebook app, at one point you were allowed to uh, message within the Facebook app, but then they began a migration period where they no longer allowed you to use the Facebook app to message. You, right. had to, you had to download a whole new app on your phone. And at this point, you know, I think my phone right now is like 128 gig or something crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but the the size of storage on the phones, even four years ago, was much smaller. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, now I have to make room for a whole other app just to use this thing. Right. Why? It's just messaging. Like, and, and but uh, David Marcus was, was the guy who was um, behind that product decision. And uh, well, him and, and the Facebook leadership team, I'm sure. Um, but it, that, that was just an interesting decision. Um, because it laid the foundation and, and it, for for more advertising and for more of these conversational experiences um, or bots as they have started in, in the early um, days of, of the platform. Um, now, did you, did you, did you, did you I, A, I remember when we were sitting there and I'm, I'm not a, a heavy user on Facebook, but I knew you were. And I remember the day when you were like, oh, check this out. Look at this new messenger app, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And uh, I remember that. But didn't you do some work? You did some work with them at one point, didn't you? Or you had a relationship with them? Or how was that? What was that? Yeah. So um, I've had the opportunity to work with all of the, the big players um, through an agency that I was employed with. Right. Um, building um, conversational experiences. Um, building conversational intelligence into some of these um, chat experiences specifically. And, and yes, I, I don't like the word bots because it just seems like a very small minded view of what the technology can be capable of. Um, but in some instances, yes, they were bots. Um, why don't, why don't we back up for a second and let's define for people what is conversational intelligence, conversational design, if you could unpack that and let people know, cause I think it's probably a fairly new terminology and uh, design methodology for people. Yeah, totally. Um, and I've had lots of conversations with people who are new to the space or looking to get into the space. Um, and you might be surprised to, to learn and maybe some of our listeners aren't aware uh, a lot of the skills or that you interact with, with Alexa or the actions on Google home are, experiences that have been designed by a person or a team of people. Um, they aren't just uh, random things that Alexa can do. There isn't actual intelligence since she's not actually deciding what to say to you on the fly. All of these things have been thought through. Um, and I think that Google has a really great definition of, of conversation design and the role of a conversation designer. Uh, and so I'll read directly from their guidelines here um, a, a sentence. Um, Google defines conversation design as a design language based on human conversation. Um, the more an interface leverages human conversation, the less users have to be taught how to use it. Conversation design is a synthesis of several design disciplines, including voice user interface design, 
interaction design, visual design, motion design, audio design, and UX writing, right? So it's a lot of different discrete functions of design that are combined into one um, to create a conversational experience. And if you think about conversations that you have with your friends, your coworkers, your family, whoever it is, conversations that we have person to person can are inherently multimodal. And what that means is they can take place in different contexts and different surfaces or different devices. So I can see Corwin person to person and we can have a conversation. Um, then I can text him and we can, can, can continue that conversation and then we can get on a phone call and continue that conversation. And we're able to retain context of what we are saying in each of those conversations without having to say, hi, Corwin, blah, 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 right? No authentication is necessary because we're able to remember what those conversations were that we were having. And so um, conversation design is the effort to take all this data that we have about people and different corporations and different companies um, and leverage that to create something similar, right? So where you can message a business on Messenger or you can text us or you can talk to us on Alexa and we'll know who you are and we'll know what you've talked about and we'll know what you want. Um, that's a very lofty goal, but that's generally what conversation design is. It's, so, it's, yeah, dude, it's sweet. And let me just go back to that. First, thank you for that. Um, and, and again, right. I mean, at this point in Jesse's career, I think he's been in the design business for less than five years and he is, you know, instrumental in leading this conversational design uh, experience for, you know, the industry at his organization. And, and I mean, you just got to get in where you fit in and go for it. You don't know what opportunities are going to come your way. You don't know what things are on the horizon around the corner, but you have to be curious, open and passionate about solving problems and learning. Um, and, 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 you know, you can find yourself in a whole bunch of really, really interesting places, but yeah. I, I really want to go back to the uh, definition because I, I applaud, um, the team at Google, um, you know, and, and I think this, this definition is um, on their developers.google.com. Um, but what I, what I love about what they said, you know, creating actions, you know, for conversational design requires a breadth of design expertise mm -hmm. ranging from not only because this is a, you know, relatively new uh, discipline that, you know, has been here before. Cause I imagine some of the information architects and some of the people that this design, you know, phone systems and things like that. Oh, to get to your credit card company, press one to right. get to somebody else, press two. I bet you a lot of that technology and thinking and expertise is, 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 is relevant in this yeah, new world. Totally. Um, but what I love is that they said, look, from voice user interface design to interaction design to visual motion and UX writing, uh, have found, uh, you know, we've redefined it into a, a single discipline conversation design. Mm -hmm. What I love about that definition and what I'm excited about, I mentioned, you know, Kobe Allman and his, his partners kind of starting IXDA here in Dallas is that we need to get back to all designers coming to the table to solve all problems. Right. And I really, really love that definition. This is literally Star Trek, the future, Star Wars. I mean, this stuff is like next this is like amazing what we get an opportunity to participate in and help solve for. Yeah. But again, we're solving problems for people through a voiceless interface or, uh, you know, it's not even a voiceless interface, it's a, it's a voice interface. Right. Um, 
And a real quick, funny thing, uh, <laughs> we were at a friend's house and they have Google home and you mm -hmm. know, our, our, my buddy's wife was like, Hey Google play, you know, play whatever, play some R and B, play some R and B. And, and she said, uh, her name is Kim. Kim said, man, she always picks the best music. And my buddy Jay was like, Kim, it's a computer. It's not a <laughs> sheet, <laughs> you know, but, but again, to your point might've been a sheet. She might've mm -hmm. designed this music interface. Right. So, right. But that definition is huge, right? It's totally encompassing all the skill sets that you have to bring to bear, even on something that you literally cannot see. Right. And that's really one of the really interesting things that I appreciate about the field now is that it's a little bit of the Wild West. Um, smaller companies and shops have a really deep knowledge of this, and that's what they do day in and day out. And I've had the opportunity to be a part of, of, of companies like that or a company like that where, you know, we ate, slept and breathed this stuff. So it's really easy for us to say like, oh, well, this is how this works. And, and getting to work with those developers who are building some of these machine learning models and, 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 and things like that. It's really interesting to be able to kind of see that work yeah. um, at, the, at the very base level. But for the majority of companies, you know, we're just trying to they're, they're just trying to figure out how to get started. Right. How do I, this is just like the launch of a mobile, a, a, you know, a few years ago where this is a whole new channel. People have no idea how to approach this. The metaphors that they're using for interaction are, are all mixed, right? We're trying to compress a desktop screen down to a mobile screen when in reality there's completely new interaction paradigms that need to be discovered yep. that are uh, ideal for the form factor. And so now that we're making the transition from, uh, a mobile app to a voiceless or a, I'm using your terms now yeah. um, a screenless interface uh, we're, we're, we're searching for those same kind of best practices and, and best interaction paradigms to to have um, and something like this where it can be multimodal and that's one of the things that I love about Google is that they have so many different surfaces that they use to leverage these experiences surfaces are what they call different devices so you can start a conversation on your Google home which is uh, uh, voice only and that conversation can trigger a card on your assistant app on your phone, which will help you accomplish a task more efficiently, right? So you can start in one modality and transition to a different modality, um, which might be best for the user. Say you don't want to hear Google Home read out a list item of a receipt, right? But you can look at that on your phone and say like, oh, okay, I get it. And you can say that back to the assistant. Um, so there's really interesting things going on in, in terms of handoff back and forth. There's also things that happen when you have a conversation with the Google Home and it's stumped. Oh, I don't know what to do. So at what point, how do I handle that error? Um, and how do I trigger maybe bringing a human into the loop to help, trick, to help with these next few steps and then hand back to the assistant and then back to you, right? There's all these really interesting intricacies that are happening um, that need to be considered. Let me ask you this. Can you, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. I mean, this is your domain. Um, can you recommend any resources for people that are interested in, you know, maybe understanding where to start in this process if they want to get into designing for Alexa and Google home and, and, you know, and, and their iPhones and other devices that, that are now leveraging this technology, where can they start? Even if they want to start with, you know, building the bots, which I know for you, awesome guys. It's not as cool as, you know, everything else, but you know, where could they start with this kind of 
researching and learning about this new technology and how they can get into it. Yeah, totally. So one of the things I love about this space is that, you know, all technology comes, it comes around and it goes around and it comes back again. Um, a lot of the leaders that I've seen in the space and I've researched and, and tried to follow a lot of these different people um, started, just like you said, designing those voice line experiences, um, designing those disambiguation menus, press one for blah, 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 press two for blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that's been going on for 20 years. Like um, the head of conversation design at Google has been working in voice specific experiences for 20 years. And you would think, how is that possible? Well, he was designing the phone menus and things like that. Right. Um, so there's a lot of knowledge to be gained from, um, from those folks. And then specifically, uh, there is a, uh, Google has a, a pair organization, which is people applied research, um, people in AI research. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Which they call pair. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a lot of really great resources there. Um, I follow a lot of the, the talks that Josh Lovejoy, who is a user experience designer in the experimental design group at Google, his, he's done a lot of um, speaking on, on these topics uh, and writing on these topics. So um, the uh, pair, people in AI research library on Google design is, is really great. You can also learn a lot about these um, building for these experiences by reading the developer documentation. And I think that might be something that a lot of designers have shied away from in the past is don't be afraid to get a little bit technical and roll up your sleeves and yes. read into these developer documents. You're not going to understand everything. That's right. um, and especially as you get into some of this more complex stuff, when we start talking about natural language processing and entity extraction and slot value extraction and all this machine learning models and this and that, you're not going to understand all the math and the code that they're doing, but you can start to glean general information just from reading the developer documentation. And also, it's also a great segue into talking to some devs who are doing the work. Um, you can learn a ton from there. And also, there's um, some design guidelines on Alexa. So um, all, a lot of these companies have made their developer docs free, or not free, but open access. So you can yeah. just go and read it. Um, so there's lots of really great stuff if you're willing to kind of dig a little bit. Well, I think number one, I mean, I love that you just shared all that. I mean, I think we, you sit next to people at work or you know people or, I mean, YouTube, I mean, I'm so grateful for YouTube and, and lynda.com and all these learning yeah. platforms and Udemy and all that. Like Jesse said, I would totally take his advice. First and foremost, go into, you know, these, these different, you know, uh, document libraries and start to get the vocabulary right. And then that can help you with searching. Yep. Um, you start searching some of these terms and again, out there on YouTube or just on Google or whatever, then you'll start going down the rabbit hole and you'll start finding your way to um, teaching material or community and meetups and other people that you can really receive from and learn from. And if it's your, if it's your wheelhouse, then great. I mean, what an awesome, you know, an awesome, you know, way to find, you know, new, uh, new places to learn, new places to, to, to experiment, new technologies to get in on on the ground floor because the stuff's not going away. And one thing that you said that I, man, I'm so passionate about is, you know, there are people, don't discount uh, people that have been there before you. Right. Not, that, not that old people are really any smarter 
I mean, they just have a lot more experience than you do. I mean, right. a buddy of mine's in sales and he's, you know, I think, I think he's, you know, mid forties and he's like, he, he took a job where his boss, he's a VP in sales and his boss mm -hmm. is younger than him. His boss is like 30 mm -hmm. something. And when he first had to take the job, he was like, man, I got to work for this young guy. This is going to be kind of weird. And he went to work for this guy and we were, we were, we were having dinner the other night and he said, I said, how's the job going? He's like, man, this kid is young, but you know what? He is smart. He deserves his place where he's at. He's brilliant. He is ready to lead this company. It's unbelievable that somebody that young can be that smart, that well-informed about all these things. So right. even as a, as a quote unquote older guy, who's had a, you know, a lot of time in the, in the game, he's still learning from somebody that's younger than him. So we yeah. all need to stay open to the, the older folks, the younger folks, the new kids on the block that are coming with some innovative ideas. And, and the other piece I do designers. Hey guys, look, I'm, I'm that, that, that's who I am. I'm an artist. I'm not, I'm not a, a big reader. I, mm -hmm. my wife would disagree. I mean, I'm reading all the time, but I'm not like reading books. I'm always reading articles and white papers and documentation and such. And I, uh, this weekend I had printed out like, you know, four or five different blockchain white papers because that's something that I'm really interested in. So I'm going deep into understanding how these guys are building this new, these new platforms and how are they monetizing it and how are they connecting it to regular centralized systems. And I'm really, really trying to educate myself and it is un, I mean, these people are so smart. It's right. unbelievable. I almost can't even understand what they're saying, but with time and with more and more exposure to this new language that was well, new to me, right. um, it starts to become commonplace and you can start to pick up the, the terminology. And then what's really cool, mind you, it's been six months now. I haven't, it's not like something I, I learned overnight. It's been six months and I'm starting to get it better. We're starting to spin up some ideas that we can put kind of in our, our design think tank that we, that we have and, and starting to look and see how we can get about solving some problems and making this stuff more relevant and mainstream. But the, the, the point is don't be afraid to go in there and start reading this stuff. Don't be afraid to right. tune into a Harvard idea lab talk two hour discussion on something. You don't know what they are saying, right? You, know, you have to be relevant. And, and, and I'll, I'll, the last thing I'll say is I met a lady when I was at the, uh, the meetup this last week and they went around the table and asked people most around the room. It was a great room of, of good designers and good people. But they said, Hey, is anybody, you know, hiring or have problems they're looking to solve this, that, and the other. And this one woman from a Sirius XM stood up and she said, yes, I'm hiring. And we're trying to, you know, going into this new frontier of heads up displays and all this kind of stuff and, and, and voice, you know, activated controls. And, and she's like, I've never done this. Nobody at our company's ever done this. This is uncharted territory for a lot of us. And I right. need smart people that aren't afraid to go into the unknown with me and solve these problems. Yeah. And I almost wanted to kind of jump up and cheer because I'm like, most leaders want, which again, I mean, I think you do need to have some people that have, have, have some insights that you can, you know, be successful in these new endeavors, you know, right. but she was really looking for smart people. Cause I pulled her aside after I said, Hey, are you looking for like interaction designers, UX designers, researchers, visual designers? What are you looking for? She's like, I need smart people. That's what I'm right. looking for. And I was like, wow, that's, that's admirable. I appreciate that. That's awesome because it's giving people that right now feel like they might not have a place in this new world all around us from augmented reality, virtual reality, machine learning, 
you know, uh, conversational design, even UX design, software development and design, right? Just like a lot of people that are kind of traditional designers feel like, oh my gosh, where do I go now? Right. And uh, so, so again, get in there, read that stuff, learn it and actually become a, become a unicorn, right? We heard of this design unicorn. Do you guys, you know, you're, I don't care what your job is. If you're a visual designer or a interaction designer or a conversational designer or a, you know, a marketing designer or a hand letterer, it doesn't matter what you do. You have to do it all because, right. you know, more and more, again, as this definition outlined, we need all of these disciplines to synthesize and come together to solve this very special problem. Yeah. Uh, so you guys got to learn and mature and grow and, and hopefully we can give you guys the tools and tips and pointers and some directions to kind of get you, get you started. Yeah. One of the things that I love that you said was going back to the fact that you're reading these, these blockchain white papers and not understanding what they're talking about. Um, I'm doing the same thing, right? Like I'm reading um, papers on new ways to do entity extraction or new ways to do natural language processing or new ways that are a way someone implemented a machine learning model. And I'm not a developer. I, I barely know HTML and CSS, right? So I don't understand. I, I, they have actual diagrams of the, the formulas that they're using for these things. And a lot of it's very math heavy. Um, and so I, I'm not understanding at a technical level what these things actually look like, but I am starting to understand the general intent of what they're trying to accomplish and why it's important. And that, to your point, really helps you learn the language that you need in order to be able to communicate effectively and, you know, in order to be able to continue to research and continue to, oh, what does this phrase mean? I've done that, you know, more times than I can count. Um, right. seen a phrase in a white paper and, and and gone down the rabbit hole on that. One of the other interesting things to that very point that I've noticed about this space in particular, and I imagine this will continue to happen um, as technology uh, grows and and continues to get more and more more magical, as you would say, Mm -hmm. is uh, the fact that there is no screen for these experiences really forces you to confront the reality of like, I need to work with my developer super closely because machine learning is like an art and a science. Um, the people who are really great at this are, you know, probably some of the highest paid people in the industry. And um, you need to be able to work with them uh, closely and be able to speak at least in a language that they can understand what you're trying to say and take it and run with it from there. Um, right. And, and another thing is you have to be aligned on the business side as well, because in order to make these experiences work, you have to be able to pull from data that's in a proper state, right? Um, which requires the creation of APIs if you don't have them that, are, that will expose data in certain ways so that you can call it in a conversational way. Um, there are some experiences that'll give you information just in one sentence. It's simple, it's clean, it's elegant, it's to the point. You don't have to fill out a form field. You can just have a conversation with a machine. What kind of house do you have? What kind of roof do you have? Right. And just conversational back and forth. But the back end behind that, that's powering that is really where the magic happens. And so in order for us as designers to enable these experiences that are super simple and clean and intuitive and, you know, you don't have to explain to someone how to speak to something. We all know that. Um, in order to power those magical experiences, you have to have all of the back end 
all of the APIs in the RESTful state or whatever state necessary to be able to pull it and then make asynchronous data calls and all of this crazy stuff. Um, that's really interesting, but that's not specifically in the realm of a designer for me to make this pixel perfect. Right. It's a lot of relationship building and relationship management and organizational alignment that you have to do, especially as you get into these larger organizations. And so you have to change your mindset from designing at your desk to designing away from your desk. You're right. doing the majority of the design work by talking to people. And that can be very difficult um, to, to kind of grasp, especially as we spend so much time trying to master our craft. Um, it's just a whole nother type of craft to master. I love it. I love it. And what I, what I love about it most is that, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, and all my team knows this and everybody that, you know, kind of has been able to, that I've worked with that I get close to, um, they know that I'm about training up design leaders because mm -hmm. the industry in the world changes so fast. You need to be able to lead, partner, collaborate in order to build whatever comes next. Um, mm -hmm. When I first got started in design, I thought I was hot shit and uh, that, you know, people were coming to the design firm because of me and my, my great right. stuff. And, <laughs> you know, really, I mean, I, I was just stupid. And fortunately, I had some people that really loved me, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 helped me understand how that's ridiculous. Right. And, and, and then I started to appreciate more and more. One of my first business partners, I, I, I used to marvel when I would design something and he would code it and it mm -hmm. literally took something very flat and inanimate and he would almost like breathe life into it. Right. And it would start animating and dancing across the screen. And, and when you click here, it did that. And then it, I mean, it was magical, you know, and I realized it's like, yo, we all need each other, you right. know, so your relationship and your relationship with your developers and people that are good or not so good, it doesn't matter. You need to start partnering and working with other people and get off the high horse. If you happen to find yourself on one, um, right. you know, bring yourself out of your shell. If you happen to be introverted and, and quiet, you know, find, find people that, that you can talk to. And believe it or not, I mean, I bet you you'll find more developers that are also introverted and quiet. So I think you'll find, you know, your tribe there, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but, but definitely every person that I've ever talked to in my entire career has never been like, Oh, I don't want to talk to you. Oh, I don't want to partner with you. Well, let me, let me back up people on the design and development side. Right. Um, I've had it from other parts of the business, which is unfortunate, but on yeah. design and development side, everybody, these men and women are, 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 are builders, they're dreamers, right. they're doers. And if you, you know, one of the biggest compliments that I got one time, it wasn't a compliment so much as it was like, wow, that's cool. We had mm -hmm. a developer at our, at our job and we were working on a, on a, on a product and the developers were bored. They're like, dude, what you guys are designing and sending over is quite functional, but it's actually quite boring for us to have to sit here and code. Can you guys like do something to jazz it up? <laughs> Cause we're right. like, <laughs> you know, we're just building forms and buttons, drop down form, button, control this. That. It's like, if you do something that's like a little bit more out of the box, we'd really appreciate it. I'm like, whoa, yeah. all right, cool. Yeah. You know, so granted, the type of product we were working on didn't really warrant that. But everybody, not everybody, a lot of people want to do 
more and they want to partner with you and solve problems with you and collaborate with you and sitting with a developer. I think when we worked together, we had the benefit of sitting with a, with a, a really good, uh, you know, front end engineer and yeah, he was passionate about doing cool stuff and experimenting and we bring him like super cool little animated, you know, micro interactions and he'd code it up and we'd all just like jazz out on the fact that you got this little, you know, check in, check out offsite onsite state to the little bloopy things were, were yeah. super fun, you know? So yeah. there's a, there's a lot of partnership that can happen here and a lot of opportunities to make great things. And again, you know, um, there's so much that we can all do together. Um, you know, we can do more together than we can by ourselves. You know, that, yeah. that is for sure. That is for sure. So you, let, you touched briefly yeah, on um, wanting to train design leaders mm-hmm. and not specifically design and, and design tools. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, it's been a few years since you and I first started working together and there has been kind of a, I don't want to say a sea change, but in my estimation, the, the, the field of design tools has exploded. Um, and so you were, you were telling me uh, a little bit ago about some discussions that you're having in regards to, um, XD and Sketch and Figma and all these other tools that are, that are out there. Yeah, I think that it, 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 it's awesome. Um, like I said, when I started, it was Photoshop 1.0 and mm-hmm. I can't remember what version of Illustrator we were on, um, but it kind of speaks to that, um, that first and so far only Medium post <laughs> <laughs> that we have out on Medium. Um, but where, you know, we're kind of talking about some of the companies that have come and gone and the amazing contributions that they have left us, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, like Flash came out of a company called Macromedia way back in the day. And it was even, it wasn't even Macromedia that, that really had Flash. It was something else before that. And I think Macromedia acquired them. Um, and, and then, you know, mm-hmm. Adobe ended up buying Macromedia and, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, there's always new tools that come along and, you know, Apple had a series of, of tools that they had in, in their, their wheelhouse. And, you know, sometimes companies say, Hey, I'm losing the battle. I'm going to get out or it's not my wheelhouse. This isn't my strength, but you know, I'm going to pass it on. And, you know, sometimes companies right. get bought and technology dies. Um, there was a page layout program called Quark back in the day. It was the industry standard for multi-page layouts. And then Adobe was like, mm-hmm. Hmm, is that so? Well, I'm going to build ours. And now we have InDesign, um, which is the industry standard. And, and Quark was uh, one of these products that just thought they owned the market and they didn't think they had to innovate and develop. And Adobe came along and because mm-hmm. Adobe's tools integrated with all the, I'm sorry, InDesign's tools, tool set integrated with, you know, Illustrator, Photoshop and, and every other, uh, you know, uh, medium that you needed, um, you know, they, they ultimately got rolled into their giant ecosystem and Quark ended up going out of business like two or three years after, you know, the introduction of InDesign. Yeah. And so for me, I've, I've come through the industry and I've seen a lot of things succeed and I've seen a lot of things not necessarily even fail, but just go away because of the competition. And so, you know, right now I see just so many, uh, tools popping up and also vanishing. Yeah. And um, some great stuff. I mean, super cool, cool tools. So I was, uh, you know, in, in our office, when I first started, most of the product design was happening in Photoshop. And, um, 
when it came to collaborating with, you know, a, a team member across the pond or somebody even just in the office across the room, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was a nightmare to, you know, share a Photoshop file that had literally upwards of a thousand layers. Right. And, you know, this in Photoshop only had one artboard. So you couldn't like have a, you know, a series of, of, of screens that you could say, Oh, there's the, you know, onboarding screen or there's the checkout flow. Let me just click into that and make the edits I need or, or right. So like it was literally you had to be very disciplined about your layers and groupings and, 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 you know, and labeling everything. And it was just really hard to deal with. Right. So um, redlining inside of Photoshop was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So when I arrived, I said, Hey guys, look, this is really inefficient. These files are really heavy. We can't collaborate as much as we'd like. So why don't you guys do me a favor and try illustrator illustrator being vector based. The files are a lot more lightweight. If you need to import graphics into you know, the application then great, um, but it'd be a little bit easier. And also I think it might give us the flexibility to be able to redline and do this, that, and the other. And it was met with resistance. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just kind of over time asked one or two designers just to try it, just do an experiment for me. And, you know, they ultimately said, Oh, wow, this is way more efficient. This works a lot better. And then over time, maybe inside of, you know, two or three months, the team migrated from Photoshop exclusively over to illustrator for our, you know, product design kind of tool of choice. Yeah. Um, then we started to say, okay, wow, we need a better redlining tool because redlining is when you basically make a design, you have to then mark it up in such a way that allows developers to be able to see all of the padding, margin, font sizes, radiuses, drop shadows, you know, colors, et cetera, right. that make up that, that, that visual presentation um, that you want them to build out. So, you know, doing it in Illustrator was a lot more efficient, but still it was very manual. So we started looking at plugins and other tools that we could use to integrate into the platform, into the, 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 you know, the plugin library so that it was a little bit more automated and easier to execute. Yeah. And, and about that time, uh, sketch really started, you know, kind of ramping up and, and becoming a, a, a tool of designers and, and, uh, people started using it more and more and more. And I, again, being gun shy from some of the products that I'd seen kind of fail or fade away in the, in the past, I was very right. slow to adopt it. And especially in a corporation when you're dealing with, you know, hundreds of people, you're dealing with disparate teams and you're dealing with folks that, you know, may or may not have the resources. Cause a lot of times there's budget restraints or security restrictions that you have when you're dealing with enterprise organizations that you can't just, you know, grab the latest version of whatever you feel like and start using it. Right. right. You have to think about the entire organism that you're supporting. Yep. And so some of the teams started, you know, experimenting with sketch and they did a, I, I think that what they brought to the table was extremely efficient, uh, very well done. And, and, you know, uh, we have a team in China and China guys, they will embrace whatever's new quick, fast and in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think that's why the country is, is so innovative and so far, um, ahead of a lot of other countries in a variety of ways, because they're not afraid of technology. They're not afraid of trying something new mm-hmm. and they learn fast and they'll, you know, so they adopted it and we adopted it here in the U S and, um, it's been really interesting, but you know, in the office, we had one designer who was just like, I love Adobe. I'm not giving up on Adobe stuff. Forget sketch. I'm going to keep using this other thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so finally, you know, Adobe started coming out with XD. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Adobe Muse. Well, no, maybe it wasn't Muse. Was it, was it Comet? I think it was Comet was the code name when they were developing it in the early days. I can't remember. Yeah. But nevertheless, 
Adobe finally got around to start building their own, you know, kind of a, 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 a digital product development design tool. Yeah. And uh, Adobe XD is, you know, experienced designers what the product is now. And so now I found, I got in this, this conversation with, with my team and we're talking and, you know, the new version of Adobe XD is really coming along quite nice. The previous versions of it I thought were, weren't as great, but they've evolved it and, and kept iterating on it. And it's, it's coming around pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some folks on the team were like, wow, it looks exactly like Sketch. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know what? I bet you there's a backstory to that because, you know, almost all great companies have, when they get to a certain point, especially when they're getting really competitive and starting to get some market share, they get a call from the big boys talking about, hey, we'd like to buy you. Yeah. Um, or we'd like to integrate with you or partner with you or something, right? Usually it's a buyout move. But uh, so I said, oh, man, I don't have any any ties to anybody at, at Adobe, but I bet you that, that I, I said, here's my hypothesis. I bet you that Sketch was approached by Adobe and was asked, Adobe asked to buy them. And I bet you Sketch said no. Yeah. And then Adobe said, the hell with it then. We'll go ahead and just copy your <laughs> product <laughs> and, and we'll just run you out of business. I, said, I bet yeah. you that's what happened, you know? And so we all, you know, had a laugh and kind of went on. But then recently, um, I met somebody who had some inside intel. And oh. uh, yeah, they, they, they told me uh, that they, you know, have, you know, ties to both companies. And um, I said, I am going to ask you this question and I'm not expecting you to violate any NDAs or any kind of anything like that. I said, blink once if the answer is yes, blink <laughs> twice if the answer is no, you know. Yeah. And, and I asked the question, I said, you know, I kind of laid that scenario out. I said, hey, was there a time where Sketch was getting such good traction that Adobe ultimately was trying to buy them? And they were like, well, yes, yes, that, that's obvious, right? That's just the way business goes. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not surprising to anybody. And, uh, you know, so he's like, yeah, he said, but they, you know, it, it appears Sketch is kind of turning down all offers for any kind of acquisition. They're trying to go it alone and they want to be their own thing. Yeah. And, um, and so, but what was interesting is I said, and he, and the individual said, do you know why, uh, uh, Adobe ended up creating a product like XD? I said, Oh, to keep compete with sketch, of course. And, and the reply was no, uh, they found that a lot of their designers were not using their design tools. They were using a competitor's design tool. <laughs> it's like, Oh, so good on the leadership there, you know, to say, Hey, 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 wait a minute. What's going on here? What you're using? What? Let me, Oh, hold on. We're going to fix that. You know, we're going to make yeah. our own. Yeah. You know, so I thought that that, and I was, you know, there's some, 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 uh, blogs out there and stuff that kind of, you know, speak to a little bit of that kind of cloaked, but, uh, you can kind of find some of that, that story, but it's very fascinating to see, um, what influences and what drives decisions. But, you know, even some of the tools that our team, were falling in love with. I think Macaw was one of them. Um, mm-hmm. You said Figma is one of the ones that are out there. Proto.io was one. Mm-hmm. And and they were all, you know, we had like, you know, seven or eight designers that were all passionate about all these different prototyping and design tools. And I said, guys, we have to wait to see how this shakes out. Because it's like Betamax versus VHS right now. Yeah. You know, it's Blockbuster versus Netflix. We got to see who wins this war and then we'll make a decision. I'm not going to jump on board and get in the fight with one of them while they're kicking and screaming. And, and sure enough, we would get emails from, cause we, you know, we had user agreements and licenses with these companies and they would say, Oh, we regret to inform you that we're going to be shutting down our platform. And I'm like, see, there yeah. you go. You know, inside of six to eight months, it wasn't even like really a long time that some of these, 
you know, platforms didn't really go the distance. You know, they might've been around for a year or two. Yeah. So, you know, so as you and I were talking, I kind of was like, you know, really the question that I kind of like to, to entertain is do the tools that we have matter? Right. You know, do I, do I, do I need, can I do the tools matter? Um, and when it comes down to it, um, I'd love to get your soft, uh, take on it. Cause now you're working in a pretty large organization that has a, a pretty, uh, diverse group of people going at yeah. it and you know, you yeah. a lot of places do the tools matter. I mean, um, in the final output and what you, what you produce. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that the number of different tools provide different capabilities, obviously. And, uh, we're really deep in the sketch. Um, especially as, uh, you know, when you, when you're building design systems, you typically build products for other design teams to use. Um, right. one might be like a style guide or a, a kit from which you can draw different components. And so sketch has a lot of really powerful capabilities when it comes to like using symbols and, and things like that. And, and, um, a lot of great plugins is a very vibrant plugin community, um, out there that you can leverage to really uh, add a lot of great functionality to sketch. Uh, but the, the, the tool wars kind of continue, um, right? Uh, Envision released studio yep. recently and Envision is in a really strong position in a lot of different organizations because we use in a number of different design tools to create the comps, but in order to share the comps and, and, and get feedback and iterate on them. Uh, I think, you know, you can share static box files. There's systems like abstract where you can upload to a shared library. Um, DSM or the design system manager from Envision does something similar, but uh, Envision really has kind of built a beachhead around this sharing to the enterprise side of the house where yeah. you don't have to download any software. You can just go to this web link and you can, you know, it's, they've built a really fantastic experience. And so Absolutely. they released, they released Studio, which is a, um, a, a sketch competitor, uh, obviously with the differentiation of being able to do motion prototyping directly in the tool without a plugin, right? So, and then there's other tools that are out there like Framer um, that you can do more uh, directly uh, manipulate the code. Um, and so, you know, I think that, I don't know if the tool wars will ever be won, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, uh, you know, where do you do your best work? Where are you most efficient? Um, and then ultimately it comes down to business models and pricing and things like that, especially when you're in large organizations, which as you said, have contracts and user agreements, you know, that can last for any number of years. Um, right. So it, it almost comes down to um, what does our organization want to use? And it's good that there's a lot of competition around these things, I think, because it, just helps drive innovation in the space. Uh, it, but once you move into some of the more emerging technologies, um, there's going to be need for a different type of tool. Mm. Um, you know, when you're just building these AR experiences or VR experiences, mm. is sketch going to be enough? Is studio going to be enough? Is Tramer going to be enough? Or is there going to be some new thing whereby you can design these experiences in the experience itself where you're wearing these goggles and you're designing, right? Um, you're architecting the space, which is kind of something that uh, conversation design is, is similar to in that you're building a space within which people do things. 
Um, I personally, when I'm designing these experiences, don't use any of those tools. I use a flow diagramming tool like a lucid chart or whimsical. Um, so when these new kind of disciplines arise or, or technologies arise, they're going to require a different design approach. Um, so it's not really about the, a tool. It's more about, like you said, understanding, and we've talked about this previously, you know, understanding the design principles, you know, the core kind of foundational aspects of design, and then um, being open and willing to learn whatever tool is necessary to do the job. That's um, right. Being able to go into that toolbox and have a number of different tools, know how to use Photoshop, know how to use Illustrator. Yep. And that is a uniquely, well, I won't say uniquely, but that is a really big component of being a designer is having mastery of all, a lot of different programs, um, you know. Absolutely. And I love it. That That's exactly where I was, you know, I'm glad you went there. And that's that to me is the key because for us, think about think about everything that we're involved in right now. I mean, we're sitting here in front of these microphones, in front of a computer, you know, with a lamp on our desk and a fan above our head. And, you know, nobody cares whether they use Fusion 360, AutoCAD. They don't care if this was hand sculpted with clay. Nobody mm-hmm. cares if this was made with a yeah, you know, the latest aluminium, as Johnny I would say. <laughs> aluminium. <laughs> aluminium. Nobody cares, right? Because right. we're designing for people and the people need whatever it is we're designing. So whatever tool right. it takes, don't be a design tool snob, please. Right. Because that part is the part that really gets under my skin. It's like, yo, I'll tell you what, I know for me, I can outdesign you no matter what tool you're using. Right. It doesn't matter because guess what? Some days, like I hate it. Don't you hate it when you get a new computer and you don't have all your software or all your fonts or all your stuff on there? You're like, oh my God, I'm stuck with these 12 fonts that came with this damn thing or yeah. or you're on vacation somewhere and somebody says, hey, they call you and like, oh my God, I need this. And you're like, you're kidding me right now. All I got is the 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 Microsoft Word and PowerPoint on the hotel, you know, desktop services or the business center computer. Right. You better get in there and make it happen. Right. You know what I'm saying? So. I'm a big fan of be a great designer and whatever tools are required, then go get that tool. Right. You know, I live in a house now and I, when we moved here, I sold everything I had and then we just came here with nothing. So we're rebuilding, which is kind of nice, kind of, kind of, you know, kind of uh, cathartic and, and right. chance to buy some new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't have my tools. I used to have a great tool, tool set. I used to have every tool you could possibly imagine. I need to do whatever. I work on cars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now I find that like I was taking my son's old bunk bed apart and I stripped out one of the bolts and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't, oh gosh, I don't have my tools that I know I could have tapped this and extracted it. So where do I go? I go to YouTube. I use the tools that I have available. Mm-hmm. I went to YouTube. YouTube said, hey, if you have a star bit, hammer it into the Allen head hole and then back it out slowly and you'll be, and I'm like, I've got a star bit and I got a <laughs> hammer. And I hammered in there and sure as anything, I got it out, you know? So it's like your design toolkit, they're awesome. And I love what you said. We're going into augmented reality, virtual reality, the tools that you need to build in those environments, conversational intelligence. I love how you said, Hey, I'm a designer. I don't even use those things. I'm over here in whimsical and, 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 and these other tools that, you know, are, are not even in any way associated with this type of work. Right. You're probably using tools that are designed for electrical engineers or something. That's exactly what I'm using. Yeah. Lucid right. charts, like electrical diagramming. Exactly. 
So now before you got to Lucidchart, what did you use to do your first conversational intelligence projects on? Uh, the first thing I used was Illustrator. Yeah, there you go. And who was the first? Well, I don't know if you can mention the first client that you used uh, Illustrator for, but. Yeah, uh, um, I just, when I started to do actual work for clients, I was in Lucidchart. Right, nice. Because of the collaboration capability, um, it's just a link you can share to any number of people. They can leave comments. Oh, what if we rearrange this? What if we did this instead? Um, it's just, it's purely flexibility, purely functional. It's not right. pretty right. by any means. Whimsical is a little bit easier on the eye. Um, but it's just, you get in there and get the job done. That's what it's all about. Because I don't, I love Envision for the collaboration and, and the ease of building prototypes. You can export it. You could text it to somebody on their phone. They can download it to their home screen. You can, you know, easily, you know, link things together. You can, uh, you know, for the developers, they can go in to inspect and see your code that you've used, especially if you use Sketch and Sketch allow you to easily publish through Craft, you know, and, and I mean, the tool is amazing and the integrations and the community that support it make working uh, easy. Um, they built in some really good efficiencies so that you, you know, basic stuff like, oh, I need to extend the, the, the width of this container across the screen. Okay, great. It's smart enough to know that I'm going to anchor this dollar sign to the, to the, to the right side and I'm going to leave the yeah. description on the left side, right? And yeah. the photo is going to scale appropriately. I mean, absolute magic, you know, yeah. and I'm so grateful for the team that built all these awesome tools. But I like what you said too about it, it, it drives innovation in the space. If Sketch would have never came along and Envision and Zeppelin and all these other great platforms would have never came along, Adobe probably would have been slower to develop a tool in, in, in their, in their uh, product portfolio right. you know, that people could get after. You know? So um, I love that it's driving innovation, whether they win or lose. You know, I mean, they're doing a great service for the industry. They're doing a great service for those designers who are young and new in the game that need some tools that are easy to, to kind of get them up and going. And even for the cats that know what they're doing, it's another great tool that makes it a little, a lot more efficient for, for us to do what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, but use the tools that you need to get the job done. It's about, exactly. and, and Jesse just said, you know, Lucid Charts is a great tool for collaboration. You know, that is key that's what this whole conversation tonight has really been all about yeah it's about learning from one another going into new areas that you've never been in before studying practicing honing your craft getting sharper grabbing the right tools making it go don't make the excuse that you don't have access to resources or tools don't make the excuse that somebody's smarter or better than you are don't make the excuse. Go out there and find what you need and go win and succeed in whatever part of the design industry you choose to focus on because there's a lot of room for all of us. Yep. There's a lot of room for all of us. And this is such a great time to, to, to be alive and to be designing. And, and we really, really do have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, opportunity to, you know, to, to win and, and to, and to make, make great things. It, it is in no way slowing down. I mean, I think we're just in the, as it relates to like the blockchain space and the cryptocurrency space, we're in maybe the end of the first inning, maybe the beginning of the second. And yeah. I will encourage all of you, like the lady from Sirius XM says, she's like, we have not gone down this road before to this degree. We need smart people. The blockchain developers and these cryptocurrency guys, I listen to their talks. I listen to their, their, their podcasts. 
they know that their designs suck. They, know, <laughs> they do. They know it. These guys are like talking about nodes and super nodes and all this other kind of stuff. It's like, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. But all I do know is that this platform is terrible. And you just said you redesigned it. I'm like, oh, God, that, yeah. I hate to see what it was before you redesigned it. Yeah. Um, so they need all of us. And they even say it. They say, look, we're building these foundational elements. And we're looking for people to come and build customer-facing experiences on top of all this. You know, they even know, sure, we're the smartest guys in the room right now. But we need all of these great designers and writers and, and HR people and, and customer service folks to help us build this next era of whatever we're going into. So um, it's awesome. It's awesome time. So definitely don't let anything hold you back. Don't get caught up on one tool. Use the tools you have. Be proficient in all of them. Um, and, and more importantly, know your craft. Know what you're trying to solve. Know the audience. Know the business. Know the needs of the customer, the consumer, the user, the viewer and make it appropriate to solve their problem, not your pleasure, their problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's a great place to end it right there. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I always love our discussions. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. To stay up to date with all things Colored by Design, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. And if you enjoyed listening, please leave us a positive rating on your platform of choice. We definitely love to hear from you and we look forward to those great ratings so that we can get this word out to other great people that are seeking design advice like you guys. Cheers. Cheers.